Welcome to Workplace Community Connections. I'm your host, Charlotte Stevens. We are all part of different communities, families, friends, and professional groups. This podcast focuses on the communities of which we are a part in our professional lives, our workplaces, and our business communities. My guests will share their insights into strengthening workplaces, enhancing engagement and satisfaction, and building relationships to carry us all forward together. You will hear from human resource professionals and business and nonprofit leaders who strive every day to make our workplaces and our communities stronger, better, and more connected. So let's get started with today's guest. Good morning, this is Charlotte Stevens. Today I am welcoming a fabulous guest. Have you ever been left out of a conversation and then been asked to support new strategies and after decisions have already been made? Have you ever wished others understood how much value you could add to strategic conversation? Our guest today has worked with C-level executives in multiple industries for companies like American Express, HP, and Zoom, saving hundreds of millions of dollars in operating expenses and helping them keep their best employees. She's here to talk about what CEOs would like from there. Sorry, I'm going to start that over because I got clicked. I couldn't click. So she's here to talk uh, to to us about what CEOs wish HR leaders knew, and she'll share the keys to becoming a stronger strategic business partner. Please welcome the best-selling author of Every Day is Friday, the ACTT Blueprint for Leaders and Entrepreneurs, founder of Metaspire Consulting, and halfway decent singer-songwriter, Nina Segura. Hi, Nina. Welcome to the show. Sarila, I'm so happy that you're doing this, and I appreciate you inviting me on the journey with you. So tell us a little bit more about your business, and then we can launch into some of the questions that I know I have about how um, HR can be a stronger strategic business partner. Yeah, of course. Well, at, sir, I started my career really young. I, I was raised by a single mom, so we, we, it was really important that I support did what I could do to bring money into the family. And I was lucky enough to get an internship at American Express when I was like 17 years old and stayed with the company wow. for 17 years, worked my way up from customer service to global reengineering and worldwide technologies. And so um, loved, loved it, still love American Express, one of the best places to work. They have an amazing HR department, and that really set sort of the standard for any other company that I would, would work with. In 2005, my department was dismantled. We got a new CIO, and after identifying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of savings as a Six Sigma black belt, and like I'm sort of half a certified coach and change leadership person, but then the other half is sort of quantitative. After being able to do that and having that opportunity, basically the CIO is like, yeah, that's great, but let's just get back to, we don't really need that process improvement stuff. So American Express handed me my company in 2005. I started Metaspire Consulting and I just called all my friends and I said, what if we could form the perfect company? What would that be like? And we just brainstormed and helped each other and word got out and we got calls from Deb Walden at the time, who was the executive vice president with over to J.P. Morgan Chase, and we did customer experience work for her, uh, specifically around how could the customer experience improve and and frontline employees feel more empowered. And uh, then we went to Eula Packard, worldwide marketing and direct sales, and streamlined marketing and sales, and sort of architected that and worked with their Six Sigma Black Belt community to support how they could lead successful change and how they could really make it stick. 
And then from there, working with more mid-market accounts, and I can go into a story of a really beautiful experience where a COO essentially wanted a strategic partner. She was willing to, to, to pay for that. Like she really, she had an, a person in an HR role that was, that the company was growing and the HR leader wasn't growing with the company. And so she wanted to give her a chance. And so basically the, out, the outcome that she paid me for was to have a strategic partner. And who, no matter who, who that was, if that was a new HR person or that was the existing one, whatever it was, the, the contract was for a year. And I basically just supported her with, with the infrastructure that it would take for HR to be a strategic partner from a process perspective. So the work that I do is looking at what is the, how does the work flow? What does the strategic planning work look like? But then also, how do you cultivate a winning culture and how do you architect that? So as I was doing the strategic planning for her, and we hired a coach to under under my brand, Metaspire Consulting, to, to support her, the current leader, that she just wasn't able to make it. And so we worked with the, the HR leader. The, the, the HR leader. coach to the HR leader. Yeah. And then the HR leader. So as we were describing, what are the measures of success as it relates to acquiring new talent? We really looked at the the acumen that would be necessary for a strategic partner, HR partner. And so how how might an HR department really get built from the ground up in that organization? They really just started understanding that how important it was to have a representative that's going to be looking over cultivating a winning culture, right? Which includes acquiring new talent, which includes employee development, which includes mitigating employee relation matters, right? There's lots of stuff that it includes and in, in retaining high performers. And so as we were sort of building out what the department might look like and how that might overlap with the way that the C-level executive team was working with the strategic planning, right? The hands-offs and linkages, we were looking at what leadership qualities were necessary in an HR partner. So tell us a little bit about that. What are the leadership qualities that you would look for in a strong HR partner? Well, the first thing is to to have strategic thinking, to be able to look at, to be able to paint broad strokes and to be able to look at things from the CEO's perspective, right? So some of the complaints that CEOs have about HR leaders is, they feel like they often get unpleasant surprises. They feel like they have to make all the decisions or they feel like they they don't think the HR leader understands the amount of pressure that they have with Wall Street or the private equity firm or the venture capitalist. And so the HR, typically the C-level executives want strategic partners. They want to be able to delegate. And as an HR leader, one of the leadership qualities as you're thinking about strategic thinking is... What, how might I pr- present a value proposition to this the C-level executive I'm reporting to or whoever the executive team is so that they come to me for these decisions? So for example, one thing practically an HR leader might say to a C-level executive is, I want to make sure you don't have any unpleasant surprises so that we can make good decisions. And therefore, my recommendation is X. And so that's how strategic thinking can come into play, where we're acknowledging what executives don't like, and we're pointing them towards the, the leadership that HR leaders have, which you do. I'm trying to foresee what those issues might be in more of a strategic way. Right. So the truth is, a lot of people think that CEOs look at 
HR leaders as minions, right? Or, or employees as minions. And they, that they, the truth is that the CEO, the, the best CEOs know that they, they are responsible for clearly communicating the vision and the outcomes and that the organization really is full of influencers and the CEO will fail or this, whoever the, the CEOP, however, it could be a COO, right? CFO, whatever it is. They will fail if the influencers aren't engaged and understanding the growth targets that they're setting, what the role is that each person plays. So the best strategic partner for HR is someone who owns the employee life cycle, right? Like, so from attraction to recruitment, the onboarding, the retention, the development, right? The separation, all of that, but also can see, okay, I understand that we're looking at whatever these financial results are, I'm going to look at bazillion measures of success. But, and, and so how, and I understand that, that these, whatever the growth targets are typically financial, this is what, this is my recommendation, right? As we could, as we can lead through these different parts of the employee life cycle. So that well, might look- that it's critically important for the HR business partner, CHRO, whatever that role might be, to be intimately familiar with business and how success measured. Yeah, yes. And so as we're like, so for example, read HR departments, right? We we look at, maybe you're looking at like speed to hire or your employee satisfaction numbers or your net promoter score, right? Those are those are really great key performance indicators. So look can at- you, Can you describe what a net promoter score is? Because that's that's such an important metric. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. So a net promoter score is 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 really important. And it really is, would this, would this company be recommended as a, as a best place to work? And what would- would you recommend this to a friend? So you, um, you want your, especially your HR business partners to feel as though they could recommend this as a great place to work. That, that's a yeah. component of success for a company in terms of hiring and retaining. And it takes, look, here's my, the biggest, the biggest thing I'll say is how, when you're thinking about the decisions that you're, that the C-level executives are making, how might you be they can't make certain decisions without you because you're so valuable. So I'll give you an example. The, the, one of the latest lean-in studies said that when employees have strong allies at work, they're 86% more likely to recommend that company as a best place to work. And they're 53% less likely to consider leaving the company. So that's a great statistic to know. And, and it's a great, fin- like financially, if you were to put business cases together for say a mentorship program or by the way, women happen, happen to be allies 50% more so than their male counterparts, keeping good women in leadership positions. It's important that you're looking at industry, st- industry statistics to, to, to support your case. Because typically this, the, the, the executives are looking at strategy and structure and performance measures and metrics, which we can get into more. I know you had asked about that. And tying what, what you're doing to those success measures. So if you think about, ask yourself how clearly you can articulate the organization's revenue and profitability goals. How, how, how much can you, how, how close is, your, is the HR department to achieving your top three to five initiatives as it relates to those, those financials? And, and, and be able to create a business case for what you're wanting, right? You want a, you want a mentorship program or you want, a, you want, more, di- you want more reflective diversity in the C-level 
seats come up. It's pretty easy to find statistics about how important it is to have a diverse executive team reflected of the customer base that we have. And you can even do your own statistics. You can even do your own business case about your particular company about savings or productivity or revenue gains. So if, if a, an HR leader is going to go to the CEO or the CFO and ask for a budget enhancement to do X, Y, and Z, statistics can help back up that quest and say, this, this could be a measure of success and how you would show that giving me this money would be an advantage. Yeah. And I know, I know you've done stuff like this, right? So like if someone wants to, you know, maybe we hired someone who's, we're not that sure that they're working out. Right. And so one thing you can say is cost avoidance is cost avoidance with you. Like, well, we might have to pay a recruiter for that position or whatever it is. But look, well, there's many examples of how you can avoid costs. And so the cost is this. And so maybe we hire, instead of paying a recruiter, we hire a coach at less of money to try to retain that talent. Or maybe we do let that person go and we do lessons learned on how do we say yes in the first place. Right. And how do we make decisions around a, a different type of candidate in the future instead of following the same path that we did before? Yeah, because maybe you're not, maybe the, the, the executive thinks that, and a lot of times this happens where, the executive team doesn't understand what HR leaders go through. They all, they have no understanding of how hard it is to get new candidates, right? And in and, and a budget, right? Maybe the budget isn't what it needs to be. And so being able to say, look, if we would have, if we would have hired at this, at the industry rate to begin with, we wouldn't have maybe made this higher. You can't make a, you can't help, you know, quality, a quality candidate at this rate. And so it, it's you working. You a rate of a salary. The salary, sorry, yes. Yeah, so okay. that makes sense. Yeah, so like those, like to so not shy away from those negotiation conversations because you're going to be, as an HR leader, you're going to end up doing all that grunt work and resenting it. And so honor yourself as an HR leader to, to say, my time is valuable and so is yours, executive team. And so how might we, and that's really the question I would consider having you consider asked, how might we work these together so that, we're focused on the same measures of success. So, so one thing I often hear HR leaders talk about is even, even if they are the highest, the highest level HR professional in their company, they are, they're the CHRO, whether they have that title or not, they're the top person. And they'll often say, I, I don't have a seat at the table. I am basically given instructions to carry forward on X, Y, and Z. But, but I'm not there during the planning process. How, how does one prove themselves valuable enough to, to get that seat at the table? That's a really good question. I'm going to go back to the other company I was talking about. I was a mid-market uh, company in terms of financially, they were like less than a billion dollars, I would say, in sales. And so, you know, the, the, what the HR leader came, we have a three-day women's leadership retreat and it's a breakthrough retreat. And one of the one of the HR leaders, typically I work with, I bring HR leaders and CEOs together because I think that that's like the holy matrimony of business, right? You've got the, the structure and the strategy and the quantity and the CEO kind of thinks that way. At the same retreat. At the same retreat. And then you have the HR leaders who are like, it's all about relationships and heart and cultivating a winning culture, right? And all of that, which we need, right? I mean, think about it. 
it's beautiful to have that together. So in any case, uh, Stacey uh, came as an HR leader. She wanted a seat at the strategic table. And it really first starts with alignment. And so the Everyday is Friday, the book, the Everyday is Friday book has four steps to it. And the first step is alignment. And so when we're in the three-day retreat, the very first thing we're doing is aligning. Your, you have to align with yourself first. So what is your vision as an HR leader? How committed are you to really wanting this strategic seat at the table? And then there's a series of experiential exercises. And throughout the retreat, she was realizing of her value and she was realizing what it, where this each, we went through a number of teach strategy and influence at Florida Atlantic University. And we went through some influential exercises as it relates to who she needed to influence and why she wanted to do it. And after we went through alignment and the C is for crew. So A is for alignment, C is for crew. Who's on our crew? Who's on her executive team? Who are the people that are her success is their success. How could she see those overlaps? Then she was able to come up with a plan of how she was going to position herself. What was her value proposition? And what was what was she going to do over the next 90 days to be able to have to secure that seat? So after the retreat, all the women leave with a 90-day plan and all the women help each other. They say, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to help you with that. And you do the same with the rest of the women. So it's very collaborative. And so she went back and so she had her communication plan that we had worked on in her value proposition and went and started working with the, the executive team and, you know, can under, could speak their language essentially. And, and, and so kind of, kind of bounced it off of some of the executives that were in the room and how sort of did some role playing. And she is in, she's second in line right now for the COO. So the COO is moving to the CEO seat. She's in the succession plan for COO. And so she, she worked her way up from director level to VP to now it's going to take a couple of years, but she's, she's understanding the business and how she going into different departments so that she can be the next COO. How, how does that work for a smaller business? You're talking about middle market and, and my vision of middle market, it's a pretty broad range, right? If you're an HR department of three, as opposed to an entire floor in a building. Now, how does that work in a smaller environment? Well, I think the functions are the same, right? You're just doing more work. <laughs> because, right? Like everything your team to help you accomplish the task, but they're the same task. Yeah, exactly. You just don't have the luxury of resources, right? So you still, like you said, so if I understand your question, how do I oversee, right, the, the performance appraisals? And then, oh, by the way, how do I learn how operations measures its, its, itself, right, or how, what have you? And how do I get into that strategic role where I am that business partner with the CEO, the CFO, CLO, whatever, whatever leadership roles there are in that company, as opposed yeah. to, as you put it, a minion? Yeah. How do I present myself? Um, what kind of input do I attempt to provide in order to show my value? Well, I think it's going to be different for each organization, but I would say every organization typically has financial goals that they're achieving. Every organization knows that there is a certain amount of employee retention that they want to have, right? And then they, they are customer goals typically. So those are and and then there's process goals, the bigger you get. So let's just take the process goals out and the the productivity goals. Let's take that out for a second. Because in smaller companies, it's it's not going to be measured as much, probably, right? You're just looking at the other metrics. I just Yeah, they may not have that data. 
they're not going to have it, but they need it to grow eventually, by the way, to get out of the founder's trap. But in any case, let's just do it. It's a small HR department. So any HR department, the, the question really is, who are your C-level executives? Who are their customers? Look at it from their perspective. Every organization has customers. I feel like seeing the old, I'm going to age myself, but the Bob Dylan song, everybody's got to serve somebody, right? So look at your customer, you HR, our customer, if I'm HR, my customer are the C-level executives. Who's my customer's customers? So is it a board of directors? Is it the actual customers that we're trying to acquire? And start learning about what are those customers like? Because at most of the time, we as a company are solving some kinds of problems that the customers, right? And so getting behind the, the, the right, you know, follow the money, right? So the money's coming in through some kind of customer, whether that's a product or a service. And what, is that, what does that customer portfolio look like? And so we're, look, yes, you need to continue to look at employee engagement. And so how did those roles serve the customer? Because one the, of your customers, if you are in charge um, or a people manager, are the employees. Yes. And those employees serve probably an external customer of the companies. And yeah. so the and so does the the executive team, right? So the executive team's going out acquiring new customer, be, you know, bases or right? whatever segmentations of customers you might have, residential or commercial or whatever. And so get, getting behind, understanding how the roles that you're filling or that you're trying to retain or that you're doing succession planning for, what's the impact of those roles to the business? Yeah. And then the employee engagement piece, the culture piece that helps to enhance the productivity, helps to enhance the retention. But as we talked about having statistics around that, and one of the ones, for example, is the cost of replacing somebody yes. who either had to terminate or who left because for some reason they didn't feel they were valued, which I think is probably one of the number one reasons. One of the number one. So it's important to, to know and communicate those costs as well so that those in leadership can realize how that impacts the bottom line. And HR is interesting because when, as a process architect, I look at, I look at what are the driving processes that come into the company, right? The sales, the marketing, the strategic planning, but HR really, HR really has a wide range because your HR, you're looking at supporting every or every organization, every department, sales, ops. And so the best, the best executive team understands that that's not a small job. You're looking at staffing operations and technologies, and all of that. Yeah. So, so one, one of the questions, and maybe it's a really simplistic question, but what are the things that, you know, really get under the skin of a CEO that HR might do and, and what mistake might you be making either in terms of what you're doing or how you're conveying a certain message as, as HR? I mean, I, I've consistently heard, usually I'm reporting directly. To, so there's a, there's just, see, I mean, my background right there, I, I think I told you like the operations will call or CFO will call, hey, help us save money, but we don't want to lose our best people. And so really that's when I get called. So I'm constantly looking at what's going on with feature. How important is it? What are the, what, who are the key influencers regardless of title? Because we need to keep them, right? In order to secure the financial wins we're expecting. And, and so in any case, to answer your question, one of the things I consistently hear regardless of company size is, 
that C-level executives really, and I said this before, they don't like unpleasant surprises. So as an HR leader, if you know that, or they're tired of making the decisions, they just want to be able, they do want to be able to delegate. And sometimes then they delegate and then things don't work out the way they thought. Maybe the H, the C-level executive is not communicating clear outcomes. Like this, this is what the profitability needs to be, or this is the time to hire I'm looking for. And that they're not understanding the negotiation process of, well, if you want a shorter time to hire, you know, this year enough to pay more, right? So whatever it is. So what I say to HR leaders is that the, the best, one of the best things I did was go to learn improv is yes. And yes, I know you don't like unpleasant surprises. And so that you can make good decisions or so that we can keep our profitability. This is my recommendation and really stand in your value. You have A is for alignment. So you have to know your value as an HR leader, the, the impact that you're making to the business. And as a person who is supporting the growth of the organization. And then C is for crew, like know who you can count on. It's going to support your message, including your customer's customer. So look at the customer base. Yes, your employees or your customers, HR, but so are the customers, external customers coming in. And that's what C-level executives are going to care about. And you I have to think that way in order to be a successful HR executive. I think you do. And the last T, I'll go through the, the T, there's two T's in the act blueprint. T is for transformation. And it's, and I do think that it's the job of HR to create time and space for transformation to occur. It is, it's your job and it's own that because it's, it's not likely going to be on a C-level executive's mind. It's your job to say, we're pausing and we're going to do a virtual team builder. We're pausing and we're going to do lessons learned. We're pausing and just having water cooler talk or we we're creating space so that the share, the vision that you have executive team, we can test it out and see how it's going and sort of roll that up in themes. So you know that how your influencers here are doing because everyone essentially, most people need to get on board to reach that tipping point. And the last T is for transition plan. And that's when I talked about, listen, understand the cost and benefits and the success measures and you having a 90-day plan, putting together a 90-day plan of what are some of the things that we're, we're doing as an HR department that kind of rolls up under financial, you know, or measures and metrics that matter. So, so review the ACTT again so that we have that in mind. Yes. Yes. A is for alignment. So how aligned are you with the value you provide and what the, what the, what is your, what is your value proposition? We talked a little bit of an example might be something a C-level executive doesn't like, like unpleasant surprises. I want to make sure you don't have any unpleasant surprises. So that what? So that you can make good decisions and, the, and then own your value, right? So having, and, and by the way, if it's okay, Sheryl, I'm going to put in the chat, maybe you can put in the show notes that I usually charge for this assessment, but you people are welcome to take it. And this will go through the app blueprint and sort of they can figure out where they are and what they might need to work on. Oh, like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And so A is for alignment. So how aligned are you and really owning your value and the value proposition, like communicating that in a way that's confident. And then C is for crew and crew are pe the people around you, right? Those are your, those, that's your, think about your employee life cycle that you own as an HR leader, but also your executive team or your customers. And yeah, I know it's a lot, but so are their customers. So any external clients or think about your relationship to that and really being secure that the people that we work with are influencers. They're not just numbers on a board, right? They're not just an expense line. These are people that are going to help us secure our financial wins. And if you're convinced of that, you'll convince others. 
And the first T is for transformation. So it, in the assessment, put the link, you get the link, I guess, in the show notes. There's a number of engagement, employee engagement strategy is part of the transformation. We can't force transformation to happen, but transformation is all about creating space to think about what's the life cycles of things. What's the customer life cycle? What's the organization life cycle? You know, what, and, and, and looking at where are we? And that's going to support you with the strategic thinking, Charlotte, that you asked earlier. Like what, what, from a leadership perspective, do we need to do? One of the things is strategic thinking. And then the last T is for transition. And then you put the plan together. A lot of people put the plan together first, but I always say that put the how comes last. And so the transition, what is your transition plan? The last T is for transition is, okay, what are some of the initiatives I need to put together? What is the business place I need to put, uh, business case I need to put together? What are the measures and metrics I need to put together? But I, I, I know a lot of people have different opinions, but I think that that comes after the alignment crew and transformation. And all of that's in the assessment and I'm happy to have a conversation with any of your listeners about that. I appreciate that. And the assessment is to be taken by individuals in order to assess where they are in their role. Yeah. And we have another assessment that's like a team assessment and organizational assessment. This yep. is just for you. That's not what this is. Yeah. Right. This is just but, for you. So the ACTT is part of what the individual needs to have in mind when they are creating their own business plan for moving forward within their organization. Yeah. And I think that's why I do suggest that why I do put, and you, I know you're coming and Shirley, maybe you're coming to speak about the gift of accountability at one of the masterclasses I do. But I do think that that is why, yes, we need the strategy and we need the leadership, right? We need to be able to yeah. have change leadership, which we're talking about this month. And then when you, when you come, we're talking about the gift of accountability, right? And holding people accountable, not in an aggressive way, but in an assertive way. So they understand that this, they're actually benefiting from that. That was a lot. I talked a lot. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's what we want because you have a ton of information to provide and people can learn more about you on your website, which will be, as you said, in the show notes. Um, and people will also be able to access information about the master classes that you provide and retreats and, and all of that. And it's www.metasplayerconsulting.com. I know that you're located in South Florida, but you also um, do a ton of your work virtually. So, so people can learn about you and, and access some of that information. So I, I think that's fabulous. And I think we all ought to keep that ACTT in mind when moving forward with a plan. And I always enjoy talking with you. So thank you for your time this morning. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thank you for joining me today for Workplace Community Connections. If you are interested in subscribing to our podcast or learning more about Charla Stevens Consulting, please go to our website or email me directly at charla at charlastevensconsulting.com. Thank you for joining me again and have a wonderful day.